time to get inspired and improve your yoga knowledge in English. You're listening to Your Yoga in English, a podcast for yogis and yoga teachers that speak English as their second or third language and want to practice or teach yoga worldwide. I'm Annie, the founder of Inga Unite, and here to guide you on the way to become the confident and knowledgeable English-speaking yogi you want to be. This episode is a recording of our language training during the Teach Yoga in English 5-Day Challenge. If you're a multilingual yoga teacher too and would like to complete this challenge in your own time and find support on your English teaching journey, join us in the Teach Yoga in English Facebook group. Cues and complex grammar. And some of you will have seen Marta before. We work together. Marta is doing a lot of the content. She works a lot on the content for Instagram and Facebook, so the design and what things look like. But also, she's an English teacher, and that's how we know each other. We met each other in Edinburgh in Scotland, and we really got along and started working together. <laughs> so, Marta, could you introduce yourself a little bit? Yes. I'm an English teacher and now I live in Scotland, but I used to live in Spain for a while. So I also speak Spanish. So I understand how difficult it is to learn another language and do your job in that language. And yoga helps me to gain the confidence that I needed to learn a language and also to teach And I also felt very unprepared when I uh, qualified as a teacher. And yoga really helps me to build up my experience and also led me to work on this project with you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. And we're going to speak about language today. So... Speaking about language, I think we very often don't realize the importance of it and how it can be damaging because language can be very damaging depending on where you live, depending on your experience. Um, and when we say damaging, it's either emotionally or physically, which leads to my first question of today. Marta, why do you think language is important? It's such a huge question. There's so many things to say about it. So I'm just going to try to narrow it down a little bit. If we're thinking about our multilingual, multicultural, international yoga classes, um, those are situations where you and your students are really, really aware of themselves. Probably everyone is going feeling pretty self-conscious and therefore sensitive to mention of any of the things that make us different from each other. So that anything that relates to you personally so that could be gender race your your body how it functions so it could be health conditions disabilities or anything like like periods we all have different experiences of these things and when we talk about um, them in our classes we need to be very careful to to address um how diverse our experiences are so there's all of those human aspects and then on top of that in a situation like ours which is uh, international and multilingual you've got all of the other things like the languages that you speak the languages that you're learning 
mm-hmm. your country, the continents where the people that you're teaching are coming from, and everything that comes with that religion, culture. Um, so anything that constitutes basically how we're different from each other comes through language. And so um, because we're talking about teaching in yoga in English, we need to focus on that for today. But yeah, there's lots to be said loads to be said about it but when you're teaching language is what you're using to build a good relationship with your students and to communicate with them Um, and in this context miscommunication is really really easy because essentially everyone's a learner I I know that when I started teaching I very much still felt like a learner and I, I still do now and you know you've you've often got a mixture of levels in your class um, and we all come to the class from our own experiences and our own perspectives. Um, we just have to be careful about what language we use um, because you can never be entirely sure how the other person is going to receive it. Um, and then we have to remember that our students are listening in a very active way, um, especially in a yoga class, because they're listening for your instructions. So it's very active, the way that they listen. It's not passive, like if you're speaking in your first language and you can kind of just pick up bits and pieces and make the meaning. You know, your your students, when they're learners and when it's in their second or third, whatever language, they're really listening for the words that you use and they become very important. So that's why it's so important why we that we choose the correct language. Um, or the, yeah, the easiest language. Exactly, yes. I think in our jobs as English teachers, it's something that we see and we hear a lot because as you mentioned, learners, language learners, listen in a very active way, not necessarily in a passive way. And I believe that language learners and sometimes native speakers as well, take words very literal. They aren't always aware that very similar words have actually to meanings and either can be positive or very negative so these associations might not always something that we are aware of or something that we know about yeah me too i i think that's a big thing when you're teaching language or yoga or anything and so that's why i think that for people who are language learners and teachers we really consider our word choice and how words can be damaging to our students because words have connotations they have feelings and associations attached to them and we need to be aware of these which is not always you know obvious to us because like we've said before everyone moves through the world from their own experience so you can't immediately know exactly what connotations to each word mean what to every individual unless you really make an effort to think. And it's that thing of thinking before you speak and knowing what positive things or negative things are associated associated with the words that we use. Things could be, you know, an insult that we meant to be a compliment and things like that. So it's just about being aware. And it all comes down to what you say and how you say it so it's mm. an important thing that that makes it sound like it's about your vocabulary and how much vocabulary you have but it isn't actually because when you're teaching yoga you've got quite a contained area of 
stuff that you're you're going to teach and and when you're going into a class presumably you plan it to some extent it's not really about you know knowing every word and knowing every association with every word it's just about being aware of what you're going to use and if that's the right one to use um yeah it's kind of like developing a social skill in another language as a teacher I think and about taking responsibility and considering the different experiences of your students especially in the context of having a multilingual cultural class it's easy to make assumptions about how other people will feel because we base it on how we feel about things and that's not your job as a teacher you want to be thinking uh, opening your mind and thinking okay well how is what I want to say going to be for other people when they hear it so it's something I get I don't want to say worried but I do kind of try to be cautious about it when I'm planning my lessons but if you ever seen you know a situation in a class where language hurt somebody or made a particular person feel uncomfortable um yes <laughs> many times many times I think like you said, we're not aware of these things and something that seems very positive to us can be very negative for another person. And I think an example of something that happens in yoga classes, some people get all ready for a bikini season and they think, okay, we need to get ripped, flat, shaped and do this in our yoga classes. I've seen yoga teachers coming into the class and saying, everyone, let's get ready for bikini season. And for me personally, this is really, really hurtful. Some of you know I, I suffered from an eating disorder. And for me, it just like brings me back to my trauma, get me into the really negative thinking, but a lot of self-doubt and not feeling good enough. And these things can be very, very damaging. The same thing happens when people use the word thin instead of slim. Slim is something more positive. And thin is a negative connotation because we do want to be thin and skinny. Skinny is also a word I wouldn't use mm. so much. Mm. Slim is a really nice synonym in that case we could use. Mm. And these are things that could be emotionally really damaging or bring you back to trauma. Something that I'm unlearning myself, you might actually have heard me doing it already. I'm unlearning to say guys all the time. I constantly use the word guys, no matter who is in front of me. Let's do this, guys. Let's go on, guys. <laughs> but it isn't very inclusive mm -hmm. because we're excluding people that maybe don't feel identified with this kind of pronoun or yeah. gender quality type of word. Yeah. Um, and we're also not including people that maybe go through transition or, or feel mm -hmm. very hurt by these types of words. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important that we are also aware of the pronouns that we use or words that refer to gender. Yeah. What about you, Marta? Have you got experience with this as well? Yeah, I mean, I think that example that you gave about the word guys is a perfect example of these things that we we've got so used to hearing that we stop thinking about it. And I think this is something that's happening in other languages as well, as, as far as I know, the, the gender pronoun. I think this is what we mean when we talk about outdated language, um, is, you know, always evolving. It should always be evolving our understanding of, of language and how it's used and what it comes to mean because it does change over time. And that's not just about learners, that's also for 
people like me whose first language is English, fluent speakers. It's a social skill that we need to have as people these days. <laughs> yeah, when we we say anything that a person could experience differently to us. So saying things like, you know, oh, I love your hair, it's so thick. I mean it in a good way, you know, I I mean that in a good way. And I've said this before to people because I think, oh my God, you know, <laughs> I would love to have thicker hair. And and that's my experience. So I mean it in a positive way. But it doesn't matter how we mean something. You know, we should be thinking before actually commenting on hair texture is a complicated thing. And now I know that that's something that I should avoid because that particular example defines many people's racial identity. And especially as a person who's got curly hair and maybe has an afro, this is something that is, unfortunately, um, really tied up with part of their identity in the historical context of what well, and present day context of racism and um, the attitudes towards black people and people of colour that, that they experience and that's not something that is my direct experience and therefore I have to think about that outside my own experience. I have to think, well, what does that mean to somebody else? And yeah, things like you've got such strong arms or they've got really strong arms. To me, that is a great thing because I have really weak arms and I want stronger arms, but uh, you don't know what's going on in other people's minds, you know in other people's lives, this could really reinforce an anxiety that they have about um, the shape and size of their arms, legs, whatever. Um, so it doesn't matter, yeah, it doesn't matter if you mean it in a good way, it's about updating our language when it comes to cueing and teaching and in life in general and thinking, being aware, being, taking responsibility and seeing how you know people interpret language, people interpret our words and above all in a, in a yoga studio or a classroom there's so much to talk about Anna. <laughs> there's so many things I, want I to know say. I just <laughs> want to comment on a few things that we said that I see here in the chat box because yeah. I see Bea says when I'm teaching in English I try to keep it as simple as possible because there aren't native English speakers in my classes and I assume that the English knowledge can differ a lot exactly that's okay. really really good for you. That's exactly what we're speaking about, keeping yeah, yeah. it simple, but also yeah. keeping it general so it doesn't yeah. affect or speaks to one person. And even um, when you are being simple, I think sometimes even maybe more so because you're being simple, that's why the words that you choose mm. matter so much. Because yeah. if you are just going to use one word for one concept, yeah, really think about it. that is the, the correct word. And that's that's something that I do as well, especially with lower level students it's part of planning I think as well planning your your lesson and Alexia says oh. it doesn't have bones but it can crash bones oh that's beautiful that's <laughs> so true that's exactly mm -hmm. what we have to feel as a compassionate teacher it really is important I mean if I look back at high school and teachers words are really important I mean you don't forget some of the stuff that your teachers say to you no having flashbacks of chemistry classes and stuff. <laughs> you know it is really it's a, it's a responsibility that we take on as as teachers so exactly. I love I love that phrase <laughs> I'm gonna remember me too it's really really good and Inga says 
or should we use the word people to sound more inclusive? Yes, I think people is really nice. You can use everyone instead of saying boys and girls. You could say all, anything that's general, anything that's general and includes everyone in a room. So that's not picking people by the way they look or the way they present themselves to you. Then Alexia is asking, what about spontaneity? Spontaneity. <laughs> um, I think this is a skill. I think language is a skill. If you train yourself and you train yourself to constantly be aware of the words you use, you can still be very spontaneous. You don't have to think of every little thing you say after you've been speaking about it for a long time. Okay. And the moment you're aware of it, it just sticks with you as well. And if you pick up on yourself doing or saying something wrong or maybe less inclusive, um, you will remember that for the next time. Mm. And little by little, you will drill yourself with the words <laughs> that you can use and you can be more spontaneous. Yeah, yeah I think it's that's exactly right, is that when you are learning something new or unlearning something, retraining yourself, you know, you do need that period of it's thinking kind of about it. Training. Yeah, it's training and then and then it becomes more natural to you. And so it is part of your spontaneity. Yes, and like you said, connotations, own experiences, the mm -hmm. how you feel in the moment even. Everything is linked and yeah. can be related to this and it, it has an effect on how we receive this language and how we use mm -hmm. language. I think it also depends on what types of English you're exposed to. Because, for example, yeah. I learned English in school and then I went traveling and I met loads of different people from different places in the world. Mm -hmm. I noticed myself that mm -hmm. people from the UK use very different vocabulary than people from the US. But then people from Australia also use very different vocabulary. South Africa, New Zealand, everywhere in, in Asia, India, uh, Bangladesh, everywhere they have mm -hmm. different vocabulary so it also depends on the person that you're speaking to and their background mm. now that we're speaking about different types of English in other places I'm going to change the topic a little bit yes I've noticed in my classes that mm. when there are English learners they are very focused or they have a very clear goal that they want to sound like a native oh I know. Pronunciation is a big thing. They want to sound exactly like a native. Why is this such a big thing? And how important is pronunciation really? It's something that makes me sad, to be honest, because I think, <laughs> why lose your accent? I love, we all have an accent. Oh, it annoys me so much that we have, sorry, not, not like in a personal way. I just find it such an unfair ideal thing to to have on your to-do list because I just think that we all have an accent 
And I really don't, even the most advanced students that I've ever had, or people who, for example, friends here who were not born in Scotland, but have lived here for years and years and have kids here and have worked here since they're 18, whatever, they all have a little bit of their, their accents in their first language. So first of all, I think you're never going to completely lose your accent. And why would you want to? This is my question. Why would you want to? So that's that's one problem that I think we should, you know, value that about ourselves more is that, you know, accents mean something. It's about who you are, where you came from. If it's an, your accent in a different language, that's even cooler because it's about, you know, the fact that you could learn a language, that you made that effort, that you had that self-discipline. So first of all, we ignore all the things that are wonderful about that. And the other thing is that I think, you know, what is correct pronunciation? What do we mean by pronunciation? Um, and for me, and I think a lot of other language learners and teachers, your goal ends up being, you know, pronunciation that is good enough or accurate enough that we can communicate and that we don't cause confusion by saying one word in the way that we should say another similar word and therefore you know getting mixed up and, and getting confused um there's not one way to do that I think it's more about saying one word not like another similar word <laughs> rather than finding this you know wonderful specific way of speaking from one tiny place in I don't know one country doesn't make any sense to me so correct pronunciation suggests that there's only one way to pronounce a word which is just a hundred percent not true as an English teacher do you know in the textbooks there's the wee box that is say pronunciation and then it's got an exercise and I can't do most of them honestly I can't do them either I do them and I have to imitate a southern English accent in order to do it and I can't do some of it if I speak in my accent and I think about the way that I speak that exercise I will get it wrong because it's one way of pronouncing something and that does not make my way of pronouncing things wrong it's just not the standardized version and this is this is problematic in the classroom and um, because it's a an unrealistic goal I said classroom but I mean in any I'm saying that because I'm an English teacher, <laughs> but I mean also in your yoga classes, you know, yeah. you, nobody should be trying to speak the same way as another person or as the way that someone told you you once should. But it's also part of the bigger problem that we're ignoring the fact that English is massive, enormous, and is spoken in so many countries and so many regions that we don't even think about half the time. It ignores all of that and ignores the history of why English is so widespread in the first place. So it's wrong. It is wrong. And I think we need to redefine what good pronunciation is. And it's just about communicating. It's not about sounding like one other person because, you know, most fluent speakers do not sound like the textbook version of English. So, And also just, you know, love the fact that you have an accent and that just it's an amazing thing to have and we shouldn't be trying to change it exactly yeah. absolutely true couldn't have said that better i see that nadia replied our accent is our identity and there's no yeah. need to change it 
Exactly. Of course, parents well is important because we can mean different things. Absolutely. Yeah. Even if you do pronounce things a little bit differently in context, things still make sense. Mm. There, there's this big thing of hungry and angry. Everyone knows which of the two you mean in yeah. context. But I understand. Obviously, we yeah. want to work on pronouncing things in a way that we can make ourselves understood. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is what you said as well. The objective or your goal is not to sound like the queen of England. <laughs> yeah. It's to make yourself understood. Yeah. And this is what we speak about in their 10 tips for multilingual yoga teachers as well. We've got a video series that helps you with pronunciation, grammar and other things. This is one of the things we speak about as well, that our accent or speaking with an accent is a sign of bravery because it really shows that you have the guts to learn another language and the guts to put yourself out there. Um, and obviously we will speak this in the workshop series coming up as well. All these things come back again. Now, Speaking about this pronunciation topic and also mindful language, are there things that we can do to make it less of a problem or make it less stressful in our own yoga classes? I think so. When I started to teach, I was really, really anxious about not understanding the students because you want to help them build confidence. So if you don't understand, you know, it's just not a good feeling for them. I was always pausing, giving myself time and being like, okay, they could mean this, that or the other. Maybe they're trying to say this. So it's about being mindful of their way of speaking and also about your way of speaking to them. So it's kind of got two directions. So first of all, to talk about being mindful of your own pronunciation, it kind of starts with knowing how you speak and what your accent is first knowing what your accent is so I know that being from Scotland although I have an extremely light Scottish accent um, I maybe pronounce the R in a more like R-ish way a bit of a curled way I pronounce the R in a much more recognizable way than maybe someone from Oxford in England who, who possibly wouldn't pronounce it at all so I have to be aware that some of my students will have been taught not to pronounce the R sound but then they meet me and they go oh she's called Marta not Marta so I need to know that for them that is new that's not normal the way that I speak to them so it's about knowing what sounds are different to probably what they're used to knowing whether you speak fast or slow so yeah and how does if you're speaking English and it is your second language then maybe considering also how your first language affected your English learning what problems did you have what things are you still working on and maybe slowing down around the sounds that you find difficult because of your first language stuff like that so I'd say slow down <laughs> know know what your way of speaking is slow down just just take your time there's no rush you know project so don't shout at people it doesn't change anything if you're shouting at people no just speak more clearly maybe but no shouting I when I was learning Spanish found that people who spoke with loads of gestures like this or really people with really expressive faces, that really helps 
to support my understanding of the language. So being uh, expressive as well to kind of support what you're saying. But you did it earlier, Anna, you said too, like that, so that people could, maybe maybe the listener doesn't need that at all, but it's, it's a way of supporting them uh, as they listen to you. So that's another thing that you can do to help people, confirm people's understanding. Um, and yeah, so the same thing goes for students, kind of researching your students' situation, finding out about them, what is their first language, what characteristics of that language make English difficult for them to speak and understand. For example, something that Japanese speakers really struggle with is, is differentiating the L sound and the R sound. That can be very difficult for them. So words like the verb roll are probably very difficult for most Japanese speakers to, to pronounce. But if you know that that's their first language, you've maybe read a bit about it, then you can think before you say to them, oh, I don't understand, which puts them in a, in a horrible situation. You can think, OK, I heard L that could also mean R. And, you know, that's being mindful. That's thinking, OK, maybe I can take some responsibility for this before I put my student in a stressful situation. As you build up experience, you just note these little things down. Um, and you will have situations where you don't understand each other. And sometimes you just have to go, it's fine, you know, next time. Or write me a message or I'll write you a message. You know, there's, it's just about being, being kind as well. And when they don't understand you, sorry, I'm going on and on. Last thing, when they don't understand you or they misunderstand something, I know that native speakers, fluent speakers do this a lot. They just say the same thing again and again. And each time they get louder and louder. So in the end, they're shouting the same thing again, and it's just not helping the situation. So find a new way to say something. So, for example, this, this the question, how long have you been doing something? How long have you been practicing yoga, Annie? This is a long way to find out when somebody's first yoga class was. And a lot of people struggle with the how long and then the, what is that? Present perfect, something like that. That is a complicated phrase when you could just say, when did you start yoga? Past simple, start yoga. There's not so much space for them to get confused. You can find a simple question instead of finding an even more complicated question. Like, have you been doing yoga for a long time or a short time? You know, don't give them too much information. So, yeah, just find the, 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 the most mindful, the most direct way of saying something. Avoid yes. complex grammar. Long mm-hmm. Yes. I want to speak about the complex grammar and also that example you gave, I found so funny because that was one of the reasons we started working together for, we heard people do that over and over and over again, screaming the same thing, (laughs) using different words. And we thought, you know, we need to do something about this. We need to write a course for native speakers (laughs) to learn how to communicate (laughs) with learners. It is, it is. I'm seeing here, Bea says, I tend to use we, the pronoun we, but I know that many teachers use you. I'm trying to make this shift, but it doesn't come natural to me. What's your opinion about this? I Sometimes I say we, sometimes I say you. 
I like to use you more because it makes it very personal. And it depends on what you're doing. For example, if you're starting your class and we're all coming, we are all coming into child's pose, it's okay because it's something that most people that come to your classes have done it before. They know what's going on. They know what to do. But if you're giving suggestions, variations, other possibilities that they can use in their classes, I would always say you, because this gives them the opportunity to explore new things for themselves instead of making it a thing about this is what the whole class is going to do. And I can't, they can, but I can't, for example, when you use you and give variations, it makes it very personal and very accessible. We is not necessarily wrong, but it depends on the context, I think. What do you think, Marta? Yeah, I think I think I probably have used mixture. But I'm thinking of an English class where you really are doing group work sometimes. So it's a different situation. So I'm thinking in yoga, yeah, probably it's quite a personal experience, even if you are in a class. So you is quite nice and it also acknowledges that thing of us all having different needs and and I think it does though have to go with the giving variations and ways of adapting the extra poses or whatever positions yeah so using you as much as you can I think is is nice you already mentioned complex grammar because there's many things that we can think of when we speak about complex grammar as language learners and I think as language teachers as well if I hear Complex grammar, my head goes straight to conditionals, the passive voice. What is com- <laughs> what is complex grammar really? What do we mean with that in this chat? So I think if you Google complex grammar, then it's going to come up with, yeah, like you say, conditionals, stuff where there's structures, where there's two sections, no, and you've got, yeah, like a conditional where you need if with one tense and then another tense. So anything with two bits that kind of depend on each other that's an extremely simplified version but you know what I mean (laughs) Um, so that that's what complex grammar really is but I think here we're talking about what is complex to your student what is complex to you as an individual and knowing that as a teacher is you know as part of being a teacher I mean you you do it in yoga you do it in language and any kind of classes knowing where your students are and kind of meeting them there because everyone is at a different stage and we really need to focus on what's complicated for those students at this moment in time so it's about analyzing your student needs really and knowing where they are in their language development and what their experience has been like because that can really influence how how a person approaches their use of grammar and their understanding of it and what they're familiar with and what they're not. Mm-hmm. Teachers avoiding complex and complicated grammar where they can is important because you're there to teach yoga and they're there to experience it. So you you don't want to be distracting them with grammar that is too complicated because that distracts from the reason that you're actually there, which is to practice yoga. <laughs> As yoga teachers, you want to avoid that complicated stuff so that you don't take away from the the actual experience that you're supposed to be yeah so complex grammar in itself is not a bad thing it's just that is that the objective of your class I don't think so probably not if you're teaching yoga and not English so we should really only be using what we need just saying what you need to say 
you can actually say conditional things without using a conditional. Can mm. you? Oh, you can. Yeah. We talk about this. <laughs> we do talk about, about it too. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. absolutely right. I think one of the main things, and I really like because Bay already mentioned this, when I teach English, I try to be as simple as possible. This is so important. You want to be as simple or as clear as possible um, because two reasons because of what Marta said we want to make ourselves understood and also meet the students where they are at this is not only in their yoga practice as in asana mm-hmm. or mindfulness or yoga as a whole this also means their language where are they at with their language learning the other thing is that in your yoga class the students or the participants in your classes will only hear 30% of what you really say. 30% only. So if you fill your classes with loads of jokes or metaphorical language or experiences that you've had, experiences that they might have, things of how they should feel, that's something not to include either. Use the language that is most important. Use present instead of the the passive or uh, conditionals. Always use the present. Also stay away of using ING. This we have mentioned in the 10 tips for multilingual yoga teachers. It's a video series and you can sign up to it. I will send the link here later. But these things we have included in there as well. So all of these things are to really give your students or the participants in your classes the opportunity to stay in their practice, to experience what's going on in their body, in their mind, where they are at today instead of focusing on what you're saying and how much you're saying (laughs) or how you're saying it, keeping it really simple. So enough about this complex grammar. Um, Depending on the person, who you're speaking to, who you're working with, how can we make it less complicated? Making language less complicated, like we said, considering your students having a think about getting to know them, what their situation is, um, and how you can minimise what you give them to think about. We do want them to be in, an, in a yoga class. We want them to be, to a certain extent, in their own experience of it. You know? So if you're constantly throwing complex phrases and unnecessary information at them, then then it's not helpful. So we want to minimize that. And so the, the thing that, that I think works and best is doing it in planning and almost scripting parts of... I, I do this when I'm trying to teach anything. I script how I'm going to introduce an exercise or how I'm going to explain a word, you know, and I, I script it before so that I... Okay, maybe I'm not there, you know, reading everything off a page, but I've thought through how I'm going to say something so that I'm saying it in as few words as possible in as direct a way as possible. And yeah, sometimes we think that we know what we want to say. And so we don't, we don't plan it. We we just think, okay, first I'll do this, then I'll do that. But actually in the moment, because you've not fully thought it through, it kind of comes out a bit messy. There's wee gaps that you've missed and it doesn't come across in a clear way to them. So yes, deciding how you're going to give an instruction, how you're going to 
communicate something before putting it into simple words, I think is really helpful. Often there's an easier way of saying something than you think that there actually is. You know, it's fine to, I think we're in the habit as, as teachers of trying to show, you know, convince our students that we know this and we can help them because we have this and we can do that. Mm-hmm. We have this knowledge and you don't need to do that. You know, they, they are in your class already and they're there to practice yoga. You don't have to be giving so much yeah this is their time actually so the less you can say the better generally speaking i'm gonna make this related to yoga i think this is a great way to also practice non-attachment because we want to show them this whole world of yoga but we can't put it all in one class or all in one workshop or on one program because these studies are endless you don't need to show what you have or what you have got or what you have achieved for them to be in your classes and you're really there and I think for those that are working with Kelly as well one thing I love what she says is that we are there to serve the community to serve Mm -hmm. students to be there for them and offer support to them or offer them an experience where they are at right now we're not there for ourselves or to show what we have got in our baskets of yeah. tools and and uh, knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, we don't maybe realise how important language is yeah. in a yoga, even if it's a yoga class, not a language class. You know, you, we forget that it still matters. It doesn't matter what you're teaching and um, when you're teaching at all. Language is, is really a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I noticed once I was just doing a guided mindfulness meditation one time it was kind of talking about not regretting the past basically so we were talking about wishes regrets and actually and it was in English and actually when we do that we're using the past we say I wish with the past in the positive when actually the reality of what did happen was negative Mm -hmm. and that happens the same we use the past to talk about the future in some conditional situations so especially on the topic of we're often thinking in yoga about reality and past and present you know all of that does depend on on some complex grammar it does relate to what you're teaching Mm -hmm. whether or not it's language and I think all all grammar structures have a meaning and that's why they exist. But as teachers, we can consider the complexity of the language that we, that we use, whether it is a grammar structure or vocabulary, and just find an easier or shorter way to say something. It's just as effective. I think that's what we worry about, is that it's not so effective. Are we saying what we really want to say? And actually, probably you are. <laughs> probably you are, more or less, especially in a multilingual environment where most people are learners like you said before Annie only 30% is being picked up anyway so even if you think that you're saying exactly what you feel <laughs> it you know half of it is not going anywhere anyway so yeah that's, um, that's all <laughs> yeah um so yeah language isn't just about how we mean things basically it's not just about how we mean something and what we want to say it's also about how it's being received and how and the the journey that your student has in kind of processing the information that you're giving to them so it's kind of 50% about communication and language about the listener the the reader 
and 50% is our responsibility. So that's why we risk causing discomfort and sadness when we're using language that's too complicated for what's necessary and language that's outdated to go back to what we said before. Society is evolving, language evolves with that and that's what we do as teachers, just be aware of what we're saying and what it means to other people, not just to ourselves. Adapt. <laughs> Adapting, exactly. Mm. And I think if we summarise it that way as well, it's more of a social skill yeah. rather than, than a knowledge skill. Languages mm. are so social. Guys, girl, boys, girls, everyone, all of you, see how difficult it is. And, and this is what I meant with the training, Alexia. As soon as you're aware of you do, you pick up when you do it. You get embarrassed. Yeah. You, find, you might still get frustrated with yourself. But it will help you get through that process of unlearning, unlearning things. Everyone that's watching today, do you have any questions, things that you want to comment on or um, know more about? If there's something that you would like to know more about, also write it to us because we can include it in future chats and obviously questions you may have right now. I've just seen that Alexia said many politicians try to keep their accents, point out their origins, although they can speak almost perfectly. This is a big thing in Scotland <laughs> because our first minister has a, a particular accent from a particular place. Um, people accuse her of this. They say, oh, you know, who's putting this accent on? And uh, yeah, I think that's just really interesting because it's part of that thing of we are so used to the idea that there's one way of, of speaking. And if you don't speak that way, then then it's not the correct way. Um, and, it, and it's perceived that way often. It's just interesting to hear that. We all have an accent. How do we know? <laughs> we can't know. <laughs> we don't know why, why, why people speak the way that they do. And I'm very exactly. And of course, like we said, questions, please reach out, send us a message. And I hope to see you all later in the group. Thank you so much. Thank you, Marta. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Thank you for your time and sharing thank all your wisdom. No, thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to know more about this topic or maybe even complete the challenge that goes with this chat? Don't forget to join the Teach Yoga in English Facebook group. This is where you can find all the worksheets and other recordings of this challenge. I will see you there. You listen to Your Yoga in English brought to you by Enga Unite, a unique online learning platform for non-native English speaking yogis and yoga teachers. If you feel inspired and liked what you learned today, don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review and follow us at Enga Unite and become a member of our online community Your Yoga in English on Facebook. Practice, rest, repeat and all will come.